Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share real and personal stories of encounters with God. I'm your host, Robin, and I am here with Dawn, Katie, and Lindy. And it's our prayer at Storytellers Live that you would meet God in a new way through these stories, that you would know you aren't alone, and that you can discuss these stories with friends so that walls are broken down and community is built. Today, we have Sydney from Katy, Texas, and we get a lot of requests for stories of infertility and miscarriage, and so we are really thankful to Sydney for sharing her story. That's right, Robin. I always am so thankful to the women who just vulnerably share their hearts, mm-hmm. you know, of, of experiences they've gone through, especially when it comes to the loss of a child. And that's what Sydney speaks to. She had a stillbirth delivery of her son, Carson, at 22 weeks. And my prayer is, it's just those who have experienced this type of loss, listen to her story. And they're given hope and just mm-hmm. reminded that God sees them and he loves yeah. them and he is there for them. And, and I just pray that that's what women hear when they hear her story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's Sydney. Today, we want to introduce you to Khadija. Khadija is a mother of seven children and lives in the Sahara Desert in Chad, Africa. Every day when she wakes up, she gets on a donkey and rides four hours to collect water from a river for her family. Even though she knows this water is unsafe to drink, she has no other option. Can you imagine? You can be a part of changing this. Here at Storytellers, we are partnering with Never Thirst, a gospel-centered organization empowering women and removing their daily burden by providing them with access to clean water. And this month, Never Thirst is drilling in Khadijah's community so that she can have clean water. Women just like you and me are joining together to transform the lives of women like Khadijah. Will you join us? Visit our Instagram to meet Khadijah and learn more at neverthirstwater.org. Go check them out. I'm so excited to be here with y'all this morning um, and just share a little bit about what the Lord has done in um, my life and my family's life over the past uh, few years. Um, so as Hethel said, I was born in um, a small town just outside of Louisville, Kentucky, and um, I grew up in a household with a mom and a dad, and I had three brothers. And for a while, it was just my older brother and I. My mom was a stay-at-home mom for a little bit while I was little. And after she had me, she had a couple of miscarriages, and they kind of thought, okay, you know, this is the end of our family, and um, we're okay with that. And so she started going back to work and then um, found out she was pregnant again with my younger brother. And so I was six years old when my younger brother was born. And then after him, she had another miscarriage. And um, and then a couple years later, she had my brother, Joshua. So um, I'm one girl with three brothers, and um, I love being the only girl. <laughs> um, and I'm a little bit more of a rough and tough girl. Um, I was a tomboy growing up. You know, I had to hang with the boys. And so we were just your typical small town church going family. And um, we grew up going to church anytime the church doors were open. Um, we, you know, we went to vacation Bible school every summer and I was in Bible drill and my parents were Sunday school teachers and um, my mom actually started um, a private school at our church and that was kind of where I went to elementary school up until the fourth grade Um, and then my dad got a job offer from a friend and we moved down to Texas and um, I remember that I was so disappointed when we got here and I got off the airplane and I saw one person wearing a cowboy hat. I was like, what, where, where are the cowboys? And I ran to the window at the airport and I looked outside and all I saw was concrete. I was like, where are the tumbleweeds? Where are the cactuses? Like, this is not the Texas I've heard about. Um, and so 
I was excited for change, but a little disappointed that it wasn't the Texas that I had heard about, you know, in stories. Um, and I love making new friends, and um, my parents quickly found us a new church home here in um, Texas, and that was kind of where, um, where I felt accepted, and um, I accepted Christ at a young age, but I didn't really understand what that meant, um, and so I was probably seven, I think, when I first made a decision for Christ, but then there was a speaker who came to our church here who, um, it was like a revival weekend. And I really just started to doubt my faith. Like, do I really know who Jesus is? Am I really a child of God? I'm, I'm not sure. And I went, I struggled with this for a couple of months. And then, um, that summer when I was in the fifth grade, we went to, um, a camp and they did a little decision service. And, um, you know, I responded to that opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of my life. And I remember, um, there was a girl who was one of my neighbors who was also in high school who I'd kind of bonded with. And um, she ha- she was a cheerleader, and I liked to cheer, so we would, like, tumble in the front yard together. And um, But she was at the camp with us, and I remember sitting down with her outside the worship center and just praying with her, asking Jesus to um, be the Lord of my life. And so after that, I was really kind of all in um, for Jesus. I, you know, had grown up in the church. I knew all the Bible verses, all the Bible stories, and... Um, in the eighth grade, my parents decided that this new church that we had made a home for the past four or five years, um, was not going to be our church home anymore and that we were going to move churches. And I was very bitter and a little resentful and I was not going to go to this new church, but you know what? My parents would not allow that. So we would go to church as a family. I would be on board and um, I would be going to this new church that I was not excited about going to. Um, But soon I started to make new friends and um, all throughout high school, I was the poster youth group kid. I was on lead teams. I would lead Bible studies. I would, I was a small group leader. I would serve on the weekends. I did it all and I loved it. I loved every single bit of it. And um, by the end of my senior year, I was really burnt out Um, and I was tired of going to church, being the good little church girl that everybody looked up to and I had graduated and there wasn't really a place for me anymore in our youth group and I was a little lost and I had started working at a pizza place and I was surrounding myself with people who were ultimately having a negative effect on the person I was becoming and as a young adult you know you're a little lost in the world sometimes and um, I started having a bad attitude Um, I was gaining weight from eating all the pizza and my language was not honoring God, and I was knowingly making poor choices, and I was just trying to fit in. And my husband and I had met through a mutual friend at church, and um, right before our freshman year of college, we had started dating, and for about seven months we dated, and it was a long-distance relationship. He went to school at Dallas Baptist University for a semester, and then he ended up getting pneumonia and had to come home, and... um, And he decided not to go back to DBU. And I told him, I was like, if you're coming home, I was like, this needs to be your decision. Like, don't come home for me. Because he was all like, we're going to get married. And I was like, we're 19. We'll see, you know. (laughs) And about four months later, I broke up with him. And he was absolutely crushed. And I was like, woohoo, I'm free. (laughs) I was like, I got to see who else is out there. You know, I got to go live my life. And um, and after about a month of that, um, I was really starting to miss him and just really just I didn't like the person that I was and I just kept searching for belonging and um you know I was looking for my identity and people 
and I was hurting and I was searching and I was confused and I really started to read the Bible again and I hadn't done that in a while. I started reading Romans 12 like every day and in Romans 12 it talks about um, how we're to treat others and how we're to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good and we're supposed to honor others above ourselves and so that became my prayer in my heart. I wanted God to change me and I wanted to love him again and I wanted to be putting him first and so just time and time again, I would go back to that scripture and just say, okay, I need to cling to what is good. And you are good, and I know that. And so a few months later, I called up Brett. I was like, hey. He was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I just, I just miss you, and I needed to hear your voice. He was like, okay, well, I'm at a thing. I'll call you later. And I was like, <laughs> click. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> Just like crushed immediately that he didn't want to talk to me. But I was like so mean to him that I like totally got it. And all that to say, a few months later, we started kind of talking again and building that relationship again. And I had started praying and seeking God's wisdom. You know, like if we were to get back together, I want this to be the man that I'm supposed to marry, if that's your will. And so... um we dated for four and a half years and finally got married. Um, and we were somewhat of a public icon, if you will, um, with the very large church that we're a part of. People were like rooting for us to get married and like waiting and like, you know, four and a half years, like they're, they're still doing this. Is it really going to happen? You know, um, but four and a half years later, we got engaged, we got married in April and, um, you know, things were going great. My plan was on track. God was meeting all of my needs. And we were married for about a year. And then um, that was when, you know, whenever you're like this public therapy, it's like, okay, people want you to get married, right? And it's like, okay, yeah, get married. And then you get married. And people are like, okay, when are you going to have a baby? When are you going to have a baby? When are you going to have a baby? And we're like, just chill, okay? <laughs> well, it'll eventually, it will happen eventually, okay? But after about a year, um, we started trying to get pregnant, and um, I had always wanted to be a mom, and having two younger brothers, like, I grew up taking care of them and helping my mom with them. I grew up babysitting, and I love kids. I work in children's ministry, and so we started trying to get pregnant probably about a year after we had been married, and we were trying to start our family, and, you know, I thought, this would be easy. It's great. You know, I know how to do this, right? Negative pregnancy test. Thought, oh man, you know, well, we'll try again next month. Negative test. One day I'd feel a little sick, a little bit of hope. Negative test. And I started to question myself. Like, is there something I'm doing wrong? Like, I know how this works, right? You know? <laughs> like, negative test. Like, why isn't this working? And we continued to trust God and just knowing that He was still good and in the waiting and that it would happen in the right time. And so, I almost just stopped taking tests altogether because there's just such a letdown every single time you get that negative when you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And so after a few months, you know, I just had to keep telling myself, like, it all happened in God's timing whenever he wants it to. And then one morning, Sunday morning, I woke up before church. Didn't really feel good. <laughs> I was like, okay, I have a test. I'll take it. <laughs> and while I was waiting for the test to turn, I just prayed. I was like, Lord, please, if you want... If this test can just be positive, like, I promise, I promise I will do my best to raise this child to grow and love you. I said, I will give this child to you. And it was the deepest desire of my heart to be a mom. And that was my hand of prayer in that moment, you know. Like, if I can just have this baby, like, I promise, I promise I will do what I can to give him to you. 
And I was listening to this song called My Heart Is Yours by Christian Stanfield. And that song says, my heart is yours, my heart is yours. Take it all, my life in your hands. And it goes into all to Jesus I surrender. All to you I freely give. I will ever love and trust you and in your presence I will live. And I didn't know then that the Lord really put those words to the test. So I just kept praying from the bottom of my heart. And the test was positive. <laughs> I was so excited and I was so filled with joy. And Brett had already gone to church and um, I had to wait all day to tell him because he even had something after church. <laughs> and he got home and I was like, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> like You'll never guess what happened this morning. Um, and God had answered our prayers and, you know, um, my plan was going great. Um, my life was just as I had imagined it being, you know, I was going to have my first kid when I was 25, you know, and, um, around 11 weeks, I thought I was having a miscarriage and I went to the bathroom and I passed this huge blood clot thing. It was so weird and strange and I was confused and like, what was that? And you know, so many weird things happen to your body when you're pregnant and you don't know what's normal and what's not. And, but I was like, surely that wasn't normal. <laughs> so I called my doctor and scheduled an appointment for the next day. And I just remember my heart was racing as we went and I just thought, please, please be okay. Please be okay. And I just remember that relief I felt as soon as I heard that heartbeat on the ultrasound, like, okay, everything's fine. I don't know what that was but everything's fine, my baby's okay, and God is still good. And I had a terrible pregnancy. <clears throat> Morning sickness like no other, and constipation and bloating, and um, that lasted about 16 weeks, and I would throw up while I was driving in the car, like I had a bowl that I was just catching in, and um, that was kind of my norm, and it was awful. And so um, at 20 weeks, we did a gender reveal, and we found out we were having a little boy. And um, growing up with three boys, I had always wanted to be a boy mom. And, um, and one night, about two weeks after our gender reveal, I started feeling really sick again. And Brett and I were, we were living with his parents at the time. And um, I was, we were just sitting on a couch watching TV in our room and I just didn't feel good. I remember just sitting there and I was like, I just kind of felt a little nauseous. I was like, here we go again. <laughs> and so I just decided to go to bed. It was probably around 11. And Brett had had a cold, so he had taken some NyQuil. And I woke up around 1 in the morning, and it was a Sunday morning. And I just felt really sick to my stomach, and I couldn't get comfortable. And so I went to the bathroom, and I started having diarrhea. And my back was hurting, and I felt a little bit better. So I tried to, I went and laid back down again and, and I couldn't get comfortable and my back just kept hurting. And about 3 a.m. I woke up again and I was cramping and I started to realize that something wasn't right. And so I was in the bathroom. So what do I do? WebMD. Pull out my phone and I start reading these symptoms. If you're having diarrhea, if you're cramping, if you're bleeding, which at that point I was, you might be going into preterm labor call your doctor immediately. And I was like, I'm only 22 and a half weeks pregnant. Like that can't be happening. So I called the doctor. I was like, I don't know what's happening, but something's not right. She's like, okay, you need to go to the emergency room. So I went and I wake up Brett, who's like in a daze 
high on NyQuil. <laughs> I was like, we got to go to the hospital. <laughs> He's like, like, what? I was like, I think I'm in labor. <laughs> I mean, he shot up immediately. It was kind of like, what is happening? Like, okay. So we just ran to the door and left. I mean, we've never driven so fast in our lives to get to the hospital. And we get to the emergency room and I go sit down and still kind of having contractions at this point. He goes up to the desk and he's like, she's pregnant. Something's happening. She's not okay. Like we need help, you know? <laughs> and so they're like, okay, just have a seat for a moment. And so Brett kind of sits down for a second, like, you know, she's fidgeting and nervous. And so he gets back up and goes back to the desk. He goes, no, we need someone now. Like, okay, sir, please calm down. <laughs> so they go get a wheelchair and um, wheel me up to the uh, labor and delivery triage center. And I put a gown on and I told him I was in pain and that I was bleeding and into a bed. And at this point, I'm really nauseous. I'm throwing up. And the nurse comes in to check me and she says, I feel a sack. And at that point, I was like, okay, I've, I've lost my baby. And I was like, what do you mean you feel a sack? Like, what is that? Like, I've never done this before. I don't know what, like, first time mom here, what does that mean? And she was like, I'm going to go get an ultrasound machine. I'll be right back. I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't sound good. So she goes and gets an ultrasound machine and comes back and kind of measures the baby. And um, I hear a heartbeat. God's still good. And then I was still really nauseous and in a lot of pain. So she gave me some sort of medicine for the nausea and the pain, which made me super drowsy. And I really had no idea what was going on. And when she goes to check me, she's like, you're, you're eight centimeters dilated. And I was like, okay. So they started me on magnesium, which is supposed to help stop your contractions. And um, and they gave me a steroid shot, which helps with your um, baby's lung development. And by this point, it was probably like six in the morning. And, um, and they admitted us to a room and Brett's parents had got there. And um, my parents live about an hour away, so they were on the way. And at that point, the doctor had kind of come in and I was still super drowsy and just confused and didn't really know what was going on. And the doctor had come in and said, you know, um, it's not looking good. It looks like you're going to have this baby today. And at 22 and a half weeks, the chances of survival are very, very slim. Not impossible, but very slim. The NICU doctor came in a little later and told us, you know, like, if your baby is to survive, like, these are all the problems that your baby's going to have. And you'll spend months here in the NICU. And, um, you know, it's going to be a long, hard road if your baby makes it. So, um, Obviously, we were like, we'll do whatever you need to do to save our baby, you know, and at that point, I'm like, they had talked about life flighting me downtown to the med center because they have the highest level of NICU care there, and they were like, but there's a very good chance you could deliver in a helicopter. I was like, okay, no, we're not going to do that. Um, and they were like, if there's complications and you're in a helicopter, you know, you might not make it. You know, Brett and I were like, we're not doing that. We're, we're going to stay right here. And we're going to see what the Lord will do. And so they still continued to try to stop the contractions, but it wasn't working. And they had me laying down in the bed kind of at an incline and um, doing everything they possibly could to try to stop it. But nothing was working. And by that time, our families had got there. And it was a Sunday and the whole church was praying for us. <laughs> and, um, and we knew we were going to have him that day. And, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know what God would do. I had a friend text me who's been through this before and said, 
Um, she told me the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're going up to the fiery furnace. And, you know, the king tells them, you need to bow down to me. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. And they said, okay, well, you're going to go in the fiery furnace. And they said, that's okay. We know that even if our God doesn't save us in there, that he's still good. And in that moment, I just felt a peace wash over me. Like, God knows the outcome of this. And he's got me. And he's got my babe. And so... I was laying there, and uh, our families had got there, and our friends were all there. And at one point, they they had to start me on pitocin to help induce the to speed the process more or less. And so at one point, my body was fighting with the magnesium and the pitocin, and my body was just kind of stuck in this state of pain, and my epidural hadn't kicked in yet, and and Brad had gone out to the waiting room to be with his parents and my dad came in and I just remember him just holding my hand. He's just there with me. And um, <laughs> he asked me if I wanted to sit up. <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> they have me like this for a reason. <laughs> but he was just there with me in that moment and he just kissed me on the head and walked out. And um, Brett came back in and, um, and Carson had a heartbeat the whole time. And, um, Right around four o'clock was when I started to, to push. And, um, and while I'm pushing, my doctor goes, he's breached. And all I know about breached babies is like, you usually have to go have a C-section. So I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> and she's like, you just have to push really hard. So I push really hard for a few minutes and out comes this little tiny baby boy. And I knew when he came out, I knew when I saw him that he wasn't alive. And they handed him over to the NICU team, and they couldn't get the breathing to it. He was just too small. He was one pound, four ounces, 13 inches long. And while I was delivering, I had this song playing, My Heart is Yours, of when I found out I was pregnant. And I just remember bringing that moment. All of these scriptures coming back to me that I had known since I was a little girl. Just, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you, and you will be my refuge, and you're near to the brokenhearted. And... All of these things that I needed in that moment, the Lord just gave to me. And when the NICU team handed me my baby, he was just so tiny. And, and that moment was just such a holy moment. As, as I knew he wasn't there, but I knew where he was. And at 22 and a half weeks, your eyes are still sealed shut. And so I knew that when he opened his eyes, the first thing he saw was Jesus. And he wasn't. He wasn't suffering and he wasn't in pain. He was whole and he was right where he needed to be. We got to spend the next hours and the rest of that night with him and with our family and friends. And they got to come and hold him. And we just got to be there with him for those few short, precious hours. I think the hardest part was leaving the next day without him. I still felt God's peace. And I still knew he was good. It was going to be a long road to healing, but that he was going to be there every step of the way. And, and they, don't, they don't give you a birth certificate or a death certificate, but, but you do have to bury them. And so three days later, it was the Wednesday right before Thanksgiving, and Brett and his dad had kind of taken care of all of the arrangements. And I remember pulling up to the cemetery. We just did a small graveside funeral, and there was just this, this tiny white box that I knew he was laying in. And I just felt paralyzed. And I parked the car and 
I was like, I can't, I can't go. I can't do it. And I said, it's gonna be okay. And three of my closest friends that I'd grown up with all throughout middle school, elementary school, and high school just came up and helped me get out of the car and walked with me. And we all decided to wear blue for him that day. And at his service, we had our friend read this verse. It's John 16, 33. It says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And Jesus was saying this to his disciples right before he went to the cross. He doesn't promise us that our life's going to be easy. But he does promise us that we can have peace and that he's overcome everything we'll go through. And in the next few weeks and months, I just continued to seek the Lord. And it turns out I have an incompetent cervix. And that's why I went into preterm labor. And, and there's something they can do about that. So when I went back for my follow-up appointment, my doctor was like, do you want to be on birth control? And I was like, no, we're just going to see what the Lord does. So not knowing God's timing or not knowing what his plan would be. Five months later, I found out I was pregnant with my son, Trent. And, um, and it was a great pregnancy and everything went smooth. And I delivered him at 36 weeks. And, and then after him, I went back to the doctor again. And she said, what about birth control? I was like, no, I think we got this. <laughs> And when Trent was nine months old, I found out I was pregnant with my daughter, Peyton. <laughs> and that time I was like, really? <laughs> okay, guess we're doing it again. <laughs> and also delivered Peyton at 36 weeks, and hers was a great pregnancy. And um, when I went back to the doctor that time, she said, birth control? I said, yes, please. <laughs> so I was basically pregnant for like three years straight is what it felt like. Um, but knowing that time and time again, I could go to the Lord and that he would be my refuge and that he was faithful no matter what. Um, those were the two things that I clung to after Carson was just knowing that, that God is our refuge in times of trouble and that no matter what we're going through, like he's got us and he's still good. Even when it doesn't go our way and his plans are far better than ours when you're a mom of a, of a lost baby, you don't ever, you don't ever want that. But I wouldn't change it because what I've been through has made me so much stronger and has really showed me the love, love that God has. Because when he had to give his only son for us, I get that. And the weight of that sticks with me. And I know that I'll see my son again someday. And so I have hope in that. that every day I'm one day closer. And that God will continue to use Carson's story for his glory. Thank you guys. <laughs> I think we all just want to thank Sydney for her willingness to share such a, a powerful story and a personal story, and it certainly spoke to all of us, and I was really moved by her holy moment of just absolutely feeling God's peace in that most difficult time. I have felt that peace when I was diagnosed with my breast cancer. It was just unexplainable how God's peace just said, I am going before you. And for her to have such a grieving moment, for her to feel his peace and know that her baby's eyes were closed, but yet she said they were open with Jesus. Right, right. It's funny, you know, a lot of our storytellers have mentioned um, Daniel chapter 3, 
And Sydney mentioned that in her story as well of just how, you know, she walked into the fire, but she knew that Jesus was alongside of her. And I think that's something for, for each of us to remind ourselves whenever we're facing any type of you know, struggle in our lives is just recognizing that he is walking alongside us. And, you know, Sydney's story ended up a happy ending. You know, she was able to have, you know, other children, but for some people it does not end that way. And I would just want to encourage those who are listening that, you know, you're not alone in your struggle. You know, you do have um, the Holy Spirit walking alongside of you. And, and Jesus wants you to come out of that fiery furnace, not even smelling like smoke. And, um, and so I just, I appreciate her sharing that with us as well. And you saying that about not being alone just reminds me how brave our storytellers are and how we can use these as a resource for others to bring people together in community through their struggles. Um, and just remembering that as they share, they're tapping into these old wounds every time they speak to someone. So if we could just really pray for these storytellers as they go forward, sharing these stories, but as we use these as a resource, just... We're just so grateful for this, for storytellers. Yeah. And um, even just going back to a point you made earlier, Lindy, about God providing peace. You know, so many times we hear from our storytellers that people will say, I mean, I just, I couldn't go through that. I, I, I don't know where you even find that in yourself or find the peace. And every single person says it's because you haven't walked through it. You know, when you're walking through something that difficult, he gives you exactly what you need in that moment that you're not going to have before then. And Dawn, exactly what you were saying of being able to pray for storytellers. And when you've experienced something, you're able to empathize and encourage someone else along the way. And so that's our prayer that you would pass along the story that you would share that those who need it, that, you know, maybe it's this exact story. I know I have two friends that I think of instantly who have walked this exact same road of losing a child mid-pregnancy. And, and I think Sydney's story could be a real encouragement to them, even if it was years ago or if it was yesterday. And even if it's not losing a child, even if it's just loss in general, being able to empathize. Yeah. So we're always so thankful when y'all pass along and you share our stories and and when God uses them. So for more information on Storytellers, you can always go to our website, which is storytellerslive.org. You can go to Apple Podcast and you can subscribe to this podcast or any of your other favorite podcast places on Spotify or Stitcher. We're, we're on all of them. And we love to hear your, to read your reviews. And you can follow us on social media at Storytellers Live Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And please reach out. We'd love to hear your stories. We'd love to hear how God used them in your life or in the lives of some of your family and friends. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.